All right, welcome back to the Canadian Gun Vault Behind the Vault Door. My name is Mark Morelli. I'll be your podcast host uh, for tonight's episode. You know, uh, I discussed it with Dave, and uh, we thought about a couple of things. Uh, you know, perhaps uh, in the interest of uh, directing traffic and bringing people over from the Instagram page and the Facebook page uh, over to the podcast, like to see the podcast kind of take off. Uh, you know, you guys have always been there. The people that are listening currently, uh, God bless you. You uh, you get the news first. The podcasts are a great place to be. Uh, they're easy enough for me to do that I can uh, share my thoughts with you all very, very quickly uh, and relatively easily. Uh, Dave's still has to edit this stuff. I'm sorry I make you wait sometimes between podcasts, but I'm doing quite a bit. So, uh, you know, we're definitely going to be bringing you uh, more, uh, you know, of, of special guests. Uh, some of the most intelligent people I know are members of the firearm community. I'm really looking forward to interviewing a few people coming up very shortly. Uh, we're going to be putting out these podcasts probably a little more often. Uh, I'm going to slow down. Uh, I promise to keep, keep promising myself to do this. I'm going to slow down on the Instagram a little bit. If I don't get back to you right away, I'm really sorry. Uh, for those of you that I put off on meeting up for range days, I apologize uh, between getting sick over this awful winter uh, a couple of times and uh, struggling through uh, some bad chest colds. Uh, I'm definitely planning on getting out the line with a bunch of you people that I've been meaning to talk to, see and shoot with and uh, certainly share uh, and exchange ideas with. I'm going to get around to you, I promise. I'm uh, sitting here right now thinking to myself, what... What would we do if we, you know, had to sit down and talk about, you know, perhaps uh, this week's posts? And we we thought about it. We thought, you know what, if we if we discuss the posts, it might cut down on some of the wording and, and thus uh, a lot of my time. Maybe the podcast could be used to explain some of the posts uh, rather than to do it on the page where, you know, maybe people aren't as interested in uh, doing a lot of reading. But for the people that uh, want to know more, uh, we're going to start directing you guys to the podcast so you can learn more about the things you're seeing as opposed to explaining them on the page. And uh, I'm thinking that's a good idea. I can't remember if it was Dave's or mine. I'll give him credit for this one. Uh, he comes up with so many brilliant ideas. Uh, if this one was mine, I forgot it. I, I can tell you that, that that happens quite a bit. There's that much going on uh, currently in my life. But, uh, you know, take a look at this week's posts. Uh, certainly uh, starting off the one, one day with that beautiful Cabot gun. That 1911 Cabot. Jeez. You know, we're there at the show and we go to the Cabot uh, booth. And it's just like unbelievable, um, you know. Like talk about like artwork. Uh, I understand that uh, a number of the uh, guns on display were actually, you know, uh, people that had purchased them had uh, offered them up for display at the shot show. And wow, like just so beautiful. I mean, it almost seemed like an entire gun was like case hardened. Uh, some of the most beautiful uh, works of metal art I've ever seen uh, there at the Cabot booth. You know, and moving right along into the day, uh, you know, we managed to get out Brandon for his birthday and do a little bit of shooting. It was nice to relax, uh, you know, with him and the little lady and get out there on the line and uh, finally engage in a little bit of, you know, fun, uh, you know, rather than work, uh, which was really a treat for me. And, uh, you know, I won't I won't forget that anytime soon. It was a really good time. Uh, we definitely, uh, you know, got got into, you know, the vintage crowd. Uh, they get enough of their... <laughs> I mean, I'm one of you. I, I'm never going to deny that. Uh, you know, bringing the M1 uh, carbine, you know, to life for you guys. I love doing that. Uh, I love putting up pictures of that gun. Uh, we've got one up on the CGV relocation plan. And I got to apologize, folks. Uh, you know, <laughs> put up an M1 carbine and, you know, tell, tell people that uh, the family is interested. 
and seeing this one go to a good home, watching the like flurry of, of questions. And of course, I want to answer everybody in detail. And I apologize for all of you uh, out there that got like, you know, half explanations from me. I was trying to keep up. Uh, you know, I'll definitely get back to you. Uh, I'm going to go over all those messages again. I'm going to have to dig deep uh, into the pile and start from the beginning and make sure that everyone gets their uh, questions answered uh, appropriately and correctly and uh, completely. Uh, I know there's several of you that, uh, you know, really want to see this piece and, you know, we're, we're going to make arrangements for that to happen. Uh, you know, it's, it's a 1943 inland M1 carbine, you know, and it's this beautiful gun. And, and I can't say that it's completely original equipment. I, I mean, uh, to be fair to everyone out there, uh, you know, I, I, I insist on being 100% completely forthright about the state of these guns uh, when I describe them. Because really, you know, we've had people say, oh, you know, you can't sell guns. We're not, we're not selling guns. We're showcasing these items and just kind of directing people to um, those that would be uh, interested in parting with them. Uh, we're, we're acting as kind of a go-between and uh, giving an assessment on the value of the firearms and trying to uh, impress upon families, you know, that the, some of these items are significant and, and are worth uh, perhaps a little more than you, you thought. And, you know, and to get them into the hands of people that truly appreciate them and want them uh, and, you know, to, to act uh, as a mediating body in that process. For me, it's, you know, uh, wonderfully rewarding. Uh, it, it is time consuming, uh, you know, answering people's questions, uh, negotiating and, you know, uh, expressing the family's wishes. Uh, as it relates to the values that they hope to achieve for these items, you know, realistically. And that's and that's where I come in to be honest with them and say, well, look, this is what you can expect given the condition of the uh, the item, the make, the model, uh, you know, how <laughs> its state of repair. I mean, some, some people bring in things that are, um, you know, terrifically worn. Uh, love uh, the idea of making any gun beautiful, but some 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 are more difficult than others, uh, you know. But I believe in being honest and, and definitely not filtering the photos and and showing people uh, any damage that's there, and, and accurately describing the condition and state of the uh, the firearms. I love the idea of people uh, really being happy afterwards. I think this M1 carbine is going to make people really happy. It's it's not completely original. The front sight. Um, base uh, appears to be changed over to like a uh, post-war unit without the years. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, not the original magazine. It looks like uh, somebody's, uh, you know, hunting uh, magazine. It's it's a shorter uh, variety of magazine. But otherwise, uh, a fairly unmolested uh, matching numbers and one carbine from 1943 in an inland uh, at that, which is really kind of cool. Uh, you know, the chances that this thing saw combat are pretty likely, uh, you know, being the year that it was made, uh, you know, it, even if it didn't get used in World War II, it definitely uh, went to Korea and perhaps even Vietnam, who knows. And so to have this uh, grace through our hands and to have an opportunity to, you know, to test fire it uh, really was a pleasure. Uh, you know, and I don't, I wouldn't downplay that at all. I really enjoyed uh, spending a little time with this uh, fancy little rifle. And, you know, it is it's such a handy piece and it's such a joy to shoot. And it's just, it's such a smooth uh, little nudge, you know, against your shoulder. But you know that something's coming out of the end pretty fast. Uh, really a great, uh, a great firearm, uh, an enjoyable one to shoot. And to have an opportunity on a bonafide piece of, you know, World War II or Korean War history, uh, you know, is fantastic. And so there has been a lot of interest in this item. And I'm really happy uh, to say that, you know, uh, the families requested we wait just a little bit with it. Uh, certainly, we want to make sure that everybody gets a fair shake at it. And, uh, you know, we want to see it go to a good home. And I'd like to see the family get uh, true value uh, for this item, you know, and, and to be fair to them completely. 
So, I mean, to the person that uh, manages to uh, give uh, a loving new home to this rifle, I congratulate you. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, folks, but uh, definitely we have some people that are closing in on this one. If you haven't seen the M1 Carbine uh, in our past posts, it's, uh, you know, it's there. Just check out the CGV relocation plan and you'll uh, you'll come across her. She's a beauty. Uh, I really love, uh, you know, spending time with a great rifle like this. And I'm, I'm really pleased to bring this one to you guys. So now... Moving right along, we uh, did a little bit, and this one got quite a bit of attention. Um, you know, I expected it would. Uh, a young lady, one of our members, uh, fantastic, uh, uh, you know, follower and, you know, fun to talk to, a uh, little gal, uh, Laura. Uh, she <laughs> she sends to, to <laughs> brings this to my attention, this, this uh, Glock that is painted to look like a Nintendo, um, you know, gaming console gun from like the 1980s. And, you know, I knew that posting this was going to be controversial. I knew there was going to be some, uh, some unhappy people. I knew there was going to be some people that were going to say, man, that's cool. Cause I know, cause I was one of them. Uh, as soon as I saw this thing, you know, and it looks just like, looks like the, the toy gun that I played with as a child and, you know, I smoked, you know, ducks indiscriminately uh you know as they move faster and faster uh, until i missed i loved playing that game so when i saw this thing my heart jumped i went wow that's cool i you know and i began to think you know who do i know that Saracotes? i i really want to get that done to my and then i stopped myself and i realized like <sighs> it looks like a toy and then the retired police officer in me kicks in. And I think to myself, no, I can't, you know what, I can't, I can't get behind that, man. As cool as I think that is, I can't, I can't say that's a, that's a cool thing to do. Uh, you know, like it being, if the gun never left the house or if people never saw it uh, on social media or, you know, if it wasn't a home in the United States where, you know, perhaps the storage laws are a little different than they are in Canada, you know, we are required to lock up everything unloaded in, you know, uh, you know, trigger locks if it's, you know, in a locker or, you know, if, you're, if you've got a vault, you know, you definitely have to secure these items in a way that uh, some some states do not require you to do, if, if, if any, um, now that I think about it. Uh, but like, I mean, you're, you're painting a gun to look like a toy. Uh, just didn't sit well with me. And, you know, I had to say, you know, I saw both sides of it. And when I put up the post, I kind of, uh, as some described it, uh, rode the fence a little bit, which I, I don't deny uh, because I have, I have mixed feelings about this. You know, it looks like a toy. And as a toy, a real gun shouldn't look like a toy uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, and, you know, definitely as a former police officer, the danger is connected to uh, a firearm painted like a toy or many. And to not recognize uh, the potential dangers in that would be, I, I believe, to be ignorant. Um, you know, if, if nothing else, perhaps you hadn't thought of it. Uh, definitely don't want to have people out there uh, painting, you know, real guns looking like toys. Uh, from a policing perspective, it's dangerous uh, to have children, uh, perhaps confusing firearms, or, or even even on a deeper uh, subconscious level to, to equate firearms in any way, shape, or form to toys uh, or vice versa, I think is, is, is a mistake. 
So does it make me, you know, does it make me anti-gun? No, absolutely not. Does it make me anti-freedom? No. Uh, I, you know, hey, do what you want. I, I just don't agree with it personally. And I can't really get behind it. And, you know, and I could see why people think it's cool. I do, I did. I, I Like, I jumped. I was like, yeah, you know, like, I so, you know, this is one of those moments where it's not about trust. And it's not about, you know, responsible. It's it's about it's about maybe sending the right message and, and, and perhaps avoiding some problems. And which for me is not the kind of thing that I admit to too often to the firearm community. But there are going to be times when perhaps you won't see things my way. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely would like to look at the situation fairly um, and, and not compromise anybody's rights unnecessarily but you know to make uh, to make it very clear uh, you know I'll always be about public safety so I love the idea of perhaps giving a, an opinion uh, on the subject at some point uh, in my career uh, definitely think that 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 that's possibility might might come one day I, I really hope it does I, it'll it'll mean that people are willing to listen and if they're willing to listen to me then I, I'd love to talk uh, some people have accused me of doing too much of that. I don't know. I, I look, Hey, that's why I started radio podcasting. Uh, you know, I love talking to people. And I just thought this was a better way to reach a wider audience. So if you want to get this stuff around, I would really appreciate it. I love the idea of sharing this. Uh, we definitely are growing. Uh, Dave, Dave has expressed very strong opinions about putting out more podcasts because you know what? We we seem to do a good job. I'm, I'm enjoying the people I'm interviewing you, uh, for you rather. And I love the opportunity to bring you, you know, great personalities within the firearm community that have intelligent thoughts to share. Uh, certainly, uh, I'm going to continue to make the rounds. Uh, I'm expecting to have Big Don uh, on the show sometime soon. I'm going to be definitely interviewing uh, two I practical and having a word with him uh, about firearm ownership and you know uh, more importantly the love of firearms because that kid just he has it in his eye I love that about him uh, there's so many different people that I definitely want to talk to put on the show and expose you guys to uh, once you get used to their personalities uh, they're terrifically dynamic fun friendly people uh, they, they, they can be quirky but you know what though uh, definitely each and every one of them uh, in their own right is brilliant and I'm really looking forward to bringing them to you guys so, looking at this Nintendo gun, uh, I mean, and back to it, I should say, uh, you know, I got a little bit of flack over that. I, I'd like to think that I explained my, myself pretty fully, but overall, I, I, you know, love it, think it's cool, but just, you know, can't really get behind it. Sorry for all the Saracruders out there, uh, you know, that, that have thought about doing it. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but you know what, hey, uh, to each his own. That's the way I see it. And uh, certainly, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, some of the things that are out there. Uh, I'm going to take a look at these things a little more closely. Uh, you know, maybe I won't <laughs> offer opinions on them, but uh, now that I know they're out there, I think it's really kind of interesting, and I'm uh, going to keep an eye out for them. So, as I go through, you know, some of these different pictures, um, definitely, you know, coming across that Lynx. Yeah, there's a, there's a beautiful picture of that gun. Uh, the Lynx, uh, you know, one of our members uh, was presented with um, another uh, saying, you know, making mention of this Lynx rifle. And one of our members said, well, what's a Lynx? And so I posted this pic just for him. Uh, great kid. Uh, you know, and he didn't seem to know what it was. So I had to show him because I saw this thing at, at SHOT Show 2018. And I mean, if you haven't seen the Lynx before, it's, I mean, this thing's this gargantuan rifle, and it's a bullpup 50 cal uh, semi-automatic rifle, and the whole barrel recoils within the uh, the chassis of the gun. Uh, you know, I've seen these things operating in videos only. I'm kind of looking forward to maybe perhaps pulling the trigger on one someday. Uh, really cool units. Uh, not not cheap. $15,000 a pop. Uh, we definitely saw the guys at... Uh, 
uh, SHOT Show, uh, one of the upper levels uh, from Tactical Imports. Uh, saw one of these things in real life. They, they were fantastic. They spoke to us for a few minutes and, you know, discussed with them some of the possibilities of, of you know, reviewing some of their firearms again in the future. Uh, we had done their Type 81 and you know really enjoyed it the video's done quite well on youtube if you guys haven't seen it yet uh, i would recommend you, you go back and have a look uh cool gun i saw the links though and i forgot what the 81 was i this thing was like just this mammoth rifle uh you know it looks like you could take a plane out of the sky uh you know looking at it though it's like a 50 cal rifle it's semi-automatic and i'm looking at it and i just wonder why it's not a barrett you know 82 like I've always wanted to have one. I had an opportunity to buy one actually way back when. I just, I came down to two choices. I could either go to university or I could buy a rifle uh, that I probably couldn't afford to run. Uh, when I was a young man, I think I was probably about, you know, uh, 20 at the time and I used one. Uh, had come through one of our local gun shops and they wanted like $6,600. And back then that's what it cost for like an entire semester's worth of books and uh, tuition at the university I attended. And I, I actually seriously considered uh, taking taking a year off and uh, just spending more time working. Truthfully, that may have actually happened, uh, only I didn't buy that rifle. I remember I was still buying guns back then in my early university years while I was working. Uh, tanked, I believe, my first year pretty badly and decided instead that I would you know work more uh, you know, probably to pay for my horribly, uh, you know, growing, uh, gun habit, which was, which was proving to be quite addictive. Uh, I had a friend, you know, uh, in the early nineties, he was a great guy. Uh, his name was Huba and Huba and I had our own little personal arms race going on. And I remember it was, it was such a fun time. I'd buy a gun, he'd buy a gun. We had a little competition going you know, uh, who was going to have the bigger gun. It was very, it was very exciting, uh, to try and keep up with Huba back then. He was such a great guy and he loved his guns every bit as much, uh, as I did. And he had gotten himself a Spas 12 shotgun at one point. And I mean, I was, it had a fixed stock. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be when it came out of the box. Uh, but, but, it definitely was the gun. And I remember thinking, wow, like that thing's great. What did that thing cost? Like 500 bucks. He had one. He had one and I always wanted one. And I would have changed out that stock for the, you know, the the, the movie magic wire one, uh, you know, immediately. But Huba didn't feel the need to. Uh, I remember going uh, to, to the range uh, for the first time with Huba to shoot uh, skeet with that gun. We, we had had our fair share of problems at this gun club that we used to go to. Uh, if you can imagine, you know, the CGV is a, a young man in his early 20s that was enamored with, uh, you know, machine style pistols uh, and, you know, AK-47 and AR-15 type rifles and monstrous handguns. I mean, as a very young man, I, I sank a lot of my money into guns uh, before I got into policing and got out of it. And a lot of people don't know this about me, but I, I got out of guns. Uh, you know, after the bands of the 90s, I left such a horrible taste in my mouth that I kind of walked away from it and went never again. And, and that's what happened. And, you know... <laughs> There, there were a lot of things leading up to that point, though, that I had a lot of fun. But I remember uh, at the time uh, shooting at this one particular gun club in Ancaster, Ontario. And I mean, uh, probably people are going to criticize me for uh, saying that because it could only be one of you know a couple of places. And so and, and, not, and not knocking them. It was a different time, uh, certainly in the early uh, 90s. Uh, we had uh, a number of people that the... the, the there were a lot more uh, people shooting shotgun, uh, sporting clay type, 
activities were going on at, the, at, the, at this particular club and then there were handgun and rifle activities but but they did occur there and it was a good outdoor range and I was really looking forward to you know uh, shooting my guns and I joined this gun club and of course my collection grew as a young man as fast as I, I could grow it uh, I remember you know I was out on the search for you know the hundred dollar gun I wasn't making much as a kid so I you know I had I had limited uh, funds to spend on this sort of thing I started making my own bullets with you know a single stage press and I mean I could make 200 and then I wouldn't uh, you know be able to go any further than that because uh, you know if I went out for a day of shooting because that meant that that was every bullet I had <laughs> you know I did my best to collect everything I could if I got a couple extra that was great but even as a young man I was trying to be economical uh, but we joined this club and a lot of shotgun guys were there like old school you know uh, what people affectionately refer to as the fuds uh, type shooters were, uh, you know, members at this club and they didn't particularly care for, you know, two 20 something uh, kids showing up at their place and, you know, uh, shooting a trap and skeet with a couple of Winchester defenders you know, that were about 18 inches long. Uh, you know, like we, I, I shot, I shot uh, trap uh, with a pistol grip and they changed the rules. Of course, there, there was going to be no more of that. I did it safely. I, there was never a problem with the number of birds I broke. Uh, there was at that club, you know, the sense I got that, you know, if my gun wasn't, you know, a $5,000 Franchi, uh, you know, then I was probably, uh, you know, out there, uh, budget slinging lead and maybe not, you know, uh, using the correct gun. And, and of course, to step up to the line on the trap range with an 18 and a half inch barreled uh, Winchester Defender and to break 22 birds, it left it left a sour taste, I think, in a couple of people's mouths uh, after they told me the gun was shit. And so to hit 22 out of 25 left a few people kind of pissed off, I think. And I mean, to go over to the trap, trap range was one thing, but then to get over to Skeet and, you know, to excel over there and, you know, be hitting 23, 24, uh, uh, birds, you know, to really enjoy ourselves, it created a bit of a stir. And so next thing you know, there were a bunch of rules regarding, you know, the minimum lengths uh, for barrels uh, and and a host of other, you know, rules that applied seemingly only to my, my friend. Uh, you know, I mean, it got to the point where, you know, it was almost abusive. Uh, we were we were being told that we were rowdy and of course you know we go over to the handgun range and we would shoot and I mean even if we didn't get uh, silly back then in the early 90s you know ammo dumps with 30 round magazines was not uncommon because that's what you could do uh, a lot of people ask me what it was like back in the day my thumb still hurts uh, from loading all those magazines you learn to load less you know uh, I learned to load 10 rounds at a time in anything AR uh, because that ammo was freaking expensive. I, I remember thinking that at the time. And so you gradually kind of get down to 10 anyway, uh, unless, you know, you want to load up a full uh, MAGA 30, which, you know, your uh, day might end early. You know, back before magazine capacities, you could load 30 rounds into your AR-15 and just do a dump into the dirt. And really nobody paid you much attention uh, at most clubs. But at this particular club, you know, we would do it once in a while. And I mean, we would get some heat. Uh, I remember it got to the point where they complained and we just looked at them and went, well, it's a, it's a gun club. <laughs> There's going to be noise. You know, it, you guys are making a lot of racket down there. Well, okay. You know, so of course, one day one of the members got right up in my buddy's face and, and, you know, at a gun club, you don't expect people to argue, but obviously this man, uh, seemed to uh, take, um, take offense to something, uh, you know, my good buddy who had said to him. And next thing you know, there's like an argument uh, going on in the clubhouse. I mean, we're human beings and people can get irritable and do do and say things that perhaps are hurtful to others. And of course, my friend took offense. And so it turned into a, you know, well, what, what do you, what about it? And, 
And then, of course, from that point forward, there became this kind of mission. Uh, we were, you know, if you imagine the CGV as a young man, I, I was a bit of a brat too. Uh, Huba, Huba instigated, though. I just jumped on board. You know, we pretty much showed up at the range one day and we loaded up everything that we had. Uh, and back then, you know, this was a different time. You know, there really weren't the same rules. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, at gun ranges today, the rules are in place. The protocol that's in place is, is time-tested, proven, and, you know, it's there for a reason. Uh, I'm from a different era in shooting, and certainly uh, I don't behave the same way I did when I was young. Uh, I remember people walking down range while people were still shooting their guns. And, you know, you just trust that that guy over there wasn't going to, you know, zing one your way. Uh, you know, like there were people that were stupid enough to walk down range before, you know, anybody you know, said that they were changing flags or anything like that. And certainly there wasn't the policies in place that there are today. Uh, you know, we get to the range and, you know, who was on a mission? We're going to irritate the hell out of the guys in the uh, shotgun shack today uh they want to grape about our noise that's fine let's load up everything we have which for huba you know included you know a 75 round drum on a, uh, <laughs> out of his ak-47 which you know amongst all the other high capacity handguns and you got to remember folks this was like during the time of berettas and tauruses uh with 16 round mags tech nines mac 10s all these guns you know uh they held full magazine capacities and we were very fond of what they called you know military uh military machine gun like firearms they used to call them bank hold up guns uh you know when we walked into the rooms like oh there's those two rowdies and, and they weren't joking around like they were they were genuinely pissed at us and so we went we loaded up everything we had and then we and you had to know this club back then folks it, we were basically inside a um Oh, what do you call them? Like a portable uh, with one wall missing. So so the sound must have funneled out of this thing like a megaphone. We decided to uh, discharge every single firearm that we had, lay it out on the table as fast as we could, and dump every magazine. I think I think we went through some ridiculous number, uh, like 200 rounds in the span of like, you know, 40 seconds. And we just dumped everything we had. And Well, you know, it was obviously a lot more than that. With that 75-round drum, uh, capped it all off. I mean, that AK. 47 barrel was like smoldering red hot and so we we created that kind of noise like there was literally smoke uh coming out of this thing uh when we finished we had ourselves a good laugh we weren't even aiming at targets i mean we were just shooting at the dirt i mean it was a short range it was like something like 10 yards or 15 yards and so we were just blasting blindly at these giant berms and and having a grand old time <laughs> and and you know what for two kids just enjoying themselves i could think of worse things to do with my time uh you know it basically we just spent as much money as we could bring to the range and just dumped it all out onto onto the uh you know berm wall and decided to pack up and head into the shotgun shack uh, with the lounge and see how the boys would react. Of course, we walked in and they did not look impressed at all. In fact, uh, the range was from not impressed to outright scared. And of course, you know, one of, one of the guys, before we even left the, the range, which was separate from the lounge, uh, one of the guys that, you know, they knew we liked, they sent him out to find out what was going on. He poked his head in the door and said, is everybody okay? You know, and that was and that was, you know, uh, firearm community kind of, you know, nonsense that was going on back in the late 80s and early 90s. But since then, you know, with the institution of all kinds of safety protocol and certainly uh, not the same kind of practices, uh, you know, I, I remember one range. God bless them. They had a bus. 
uh, on site. And I mean, they shot up this bus like crazy. And of course, everybody, everybody knew that this bus was out there. I mean, it was just on a piece of farmland. It, it, it grew into a, a wonderful club and this bus is sitting out there. And I remember there's even, there's even an urban legend that the owner was on the bus once eating his lunch when somebody decided to start shooting at it one day and, you know, had to say like, stop, what are you doing? Uh, there were people, I'm sure like if I had a bus on private property and I had very little uh, in terms of control and regulation, I would probably set up targets on the bus and do the whole hostage target thing. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, it was, if left to your own imagination, I understand the need for, you know, regulation and safety protocol. And I wouldn't say that, you know, that's a safe thing to do. But back then in the late eighties and early nineties, uh, people weren't thinking the same way. And quite honestly, uh, to have a bus at your disposal like that and not care if it gets shot up, hell, I would, I would have done it too. Uh, but like, I mean, since that time, I mean, those kinds of things no longer occur. Uh, going to the gun range is a very safe affair, folks. I mean, people walk up to the line, they uncase their guns, they undo their trigger locks, they place their items uh, unloaded on the table, muzzle uh, facing outwards at all times towards the berms, uh, you know, in a safe direction. Uh, magazines are taken out, uh, actions are opened. Uh, if, if a rifle is not in use, uh, it is left with magazines taken out, bolts open, uh, you know, and exposed so that people can see that they're unloaded. Uh, there are red and green flags that determine whether or not people are allowed to approach the line and to handle their guns and to load magazines. I mean, all these things are in place to ensure people's safety. So you've got what essentially are the best, the best people in the country in terms of uh, behavioral performance. Uh, quite honestly, they're the most screened, uh, the most checked on a daily basis by the RCMP supercomputer. Uh, the CPIC running them nonstop. The firearm community is constantly being checked on uh, to make sure that they're behaving themselves. They are the best people, hands down, uh, I've met in the country. Uh, for those people to go to the range and under those circumstances operate firearms in a, in a completely safe uh, you know, manner, uh, to crack down on those people seems unnecessarily harsh to me. You know, so again, looking looking at this, uh, you know, and I, and I always want to bring it back to the legislation. Uh, we're here to affect change. We're educating the public. And we're definitely bringing to the attention uh, of people that don't necessarily know a lot about firearms, exactly what's going on out there. And we're doing it through social media, and that makes me really happy because uh, I've had an opportunity to express myself in uh, formats like this. And I'm always glad that you guys like to listen. Anyway, that's about all the time I have for this evening's episode of the Canadian Gun Vault Behind the Vault Door. Hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, shoot straight, stay safe, Canada.